John chapter 16, I've entitled this teaching this morning, These Things, These Things. And you're going to see in the first six verses of John chapter 16 that it refers to these things, the phrase these things Jesus does uh, five times uh, through there. So it's obviously something that's important. So let's read through our text this morning and then we'll uh, dive into it and see what God has for us. John chapter 16, starting with verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be some in the, in the chairs in front of you. Uh, or just raise your hand, we'll get you one. But uh, we want you to be able to follow along with us. So John 16, verse 1. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So these things, uh, Jesus is saying, these things I have spoken to you. That's his first phrase in our text this morning. So the natural question would be what? What, what things? What things is he talking about? Well, we've looked over the past couple months even, this time that Jesus has spent with his disciples in the upper room, and we saw a couple weeks ago that they were moving out of the upper room and moving towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's still teaching. He's still uh, encouraging them with these words because of what he's going to be, what they're going to be going through in the next uh, day or so with his crucifixion. And so there is so much in God's word leading up to this event, isn't there? Well, we could start with Genesis, for one, but even in the past three or four chapters, uh, we've seen Jesus preparing his disciples for what's about to take place. He's been encouraging them, exhorting them, building them up, further equipping them in an attempt to prepare them better for what's going to be taking place. So when he says, these things I have spoken to you, Yes, it could mean all of the things that Jesus has taught that they've seen him do up to this point as they've walked with him, but especially these things just recently that he's been sharing with them. He says, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. And he knows that they're going to, doesn't he? He knows that there's going to be some tough times ahead for them, but he's giving them this, uh, this encouragement, these words uh, to hopefully help them to not stumble, and certainly not stumble quite as bad, if you will. And so in our lives, we can look at this and we can say, these things, 
we can look at that phrase and know that in the full counsel of God's word, everything that he has for us, he's got all of these things for us as well, doesn't he? So that when we're going through a tough time, when we're going through some trials and tribulations and persecutions, as he says we're going to, to face, uh, then these things will bring comfort. They'll bring peace. They'll bring joy. These things will further equip us and strengthen us and build us up so that we can be overcomers, right? Because that's where he wants us to be. He wants us to be in a place where we're trusting in him, trusting in the things that he has shown us and taught us in his word so that we can not only be built up and equipped ourselves, but we can also help others who are going through a tough time uh, as well. So these things, it's exactly the things that he has spoken to them during this time in the upper room and, and now as they move towards the garden. We saw in John chapter 13, verse 5, when he washed the disciples' feet, there was great lessons for them to be learned in that, great lessons for us to learn in that as well. We see that he talks about and we see the fruition of Judas's betrayal, that it, it took place as he left. Then we see Jesus in chapter 14. He moves into showing them, teaching them, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm leaving because I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. And then he encourages them further by saying, I will come again. He tells them he is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. He's reiterating his ministry to them, his ministry to the world, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He tells them that they now will have the opportunity or the privilege of being able to pray to the Father in his name, in the name of Jesus. He exhorts them to keep his commandments. He tells them, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send you what? A helper. We've spent a lot of time talking about that. The helper, the Holy Spirit. And of all the teachings that probably all of us, all of us have had, that we've experienced, things that we've read, the term that I think not necessarily best describes the Holy Spirit, but for us in application is really good for us when we see that title, The Helper. And that's not something we came up with on our own, is it? We know that he helps us, but Jesus himself uses that as a definition or a description of the Holy Spirit. When I send you the helper. And we know that that's great comfort to us because, as we've said before, Lord knows we need help, don't we? <laughs> on a regular basis, we have tough times during our week and during our day, the things that we're going through and Christ tells us, as he did his disciples, I'm going to send the helper to you. Not just a helper, but the helper, the Holy Spirit. Part of God's trinity. We talked about that as well, that the Holy Spirit comes as a representative of an extension of God himself, doesn't he? So he's never going to say anything. He's never going to do anything that's contrary to what God wants. It's always going to be uh, in unity with God and with the Son. So he sends us this helper. The helper is coming, he tells us in John 14, 16. He also exhorts them to love him. He says, love me. And he also says, peace I give to you. We talked about the abiding, the abiding in 
Christ, the true vine, in John chapter 15, he exhorts them to love one another. We talked about that at length too because they're going to be going through a tough time. He's telling the disciples themselves to love one another, which is key for us as well as we gather together as his disciples. As we walk out our walk with the Lord, we're to love one another because we can be there to encourage one another in our walk with the Lord, can't we? To love one another. And he follows that up in John chapter 15, talking about, hey, you're also going to be hated and persecuted. That was a real joyful message that we had last week, wasn't it? (laughs) That because of what we believe, because we follow Jesus Christ, recognize Him as Lord and Savior, as God's Son, because we believe in Him, He says we're going to be hated and persecuted. And we see that in the world. We talked about the world system and what the world represents. One of the the best descriptions that we can use of the world as we see it in Scripture and what Christ is talking about here is opposite of God, right? Void of God in their lives. That's the world. We've talked about in the past that there's only two types of people in the world, really. Those who believe and those who don't believe. And so we're going to be hated and persecuted by the world or those that just don't agree with what it is we believe a lot of times, right? Sometimes it's very subtle. Sometimes it's right in our face that they challenge the very core of what we believe in God. So we're going to be hated and persecuted. But it also says that at the end of John chapter 15 and 26 and 27 that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will bear witness of Jesus Christ. And he also says, you will bear witness. So as my disciples, you also will bear witness of me because we have the Helper, the Holy Spirit, working in our lives who will bear witness. Now he will use us to bear witness to others. He says, these things I've spoken to you. Why? That you should not be made to stumble. I have spoken to you these things, taught you these things, and I am sending you the promised helper to help keep you from some stumbling. How many of us, in all honesty, would say, I stumbled this week? I'm not, you know, we're not talking about uncoordinated. We're talking about uh, stumbling in our walk. Well, I guess that might be uncoordinated in our walk, right? (laughs) That we've been caused to stumble. We all face that, don't we? We all fall short at times. We don't always act and react the way that God would want us to. And in that, we are stumbling. But He has given us these things. He has given us His Helper, the Holy Spirit, so that we would not be made to stumble. And so in that, it's, it's about trust. It's about faith, right? We had the trust. We had the faith to come to the Lord in the first place, to believe in Him, And he wants to continue to grow us, to help us to rely upon him more and more and more in our our walk with him, right? Not always an easy thing to do because there's still this flesh that's working in us and we think, you know, hey, I got this one. I I can handle this one myself. Most of the time that leads to the stumbling when we're not relying upon the Lord. So I have given my words of life to you. Jesus is saying, abide in me, abide in my words. I'm sending this helper to help you because you will be hated. You will be persecuted. 
And in what ways will that happen? Well, the disciples see this in verses 2 and 3. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. So the people that are doing this to them, that he says are going to do this to them, are those that don't know the Lord, right? And he says they're going to put you out of the synagogues. And the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. Now that's a scary thing in the world we're living in today, isn't it? Because we know that there's elements out there that believe they are doing their God a service by killing us. It's out there. It's real. We see it in the news. We see it going on. And so there's that element of that. And they think they're doing the right thing by squelching this voice, by getting rid of uh, our testimony, our witness to God. They believe that they're doing the right thing. In the world's eyes, they believe that. Let's stop this message that you're spreading. Let's stop all these things that you're promoting to kill us, to kill our voice. Maybe not kill us physically, but they want to shut us up, don't they? And it says they'll also put you out of the synagogues. So the traditional uh, religious belief of that time, Judaism... If you didn't agree with Judaism and you were following Christ, you were probably going to be put out of the synagogue, weren't you? And you think, well, I didn't like that church anyway. You know, <laughs> you might think that. But it went way beyond that, didn't it? Because even your uh, financial or your economic uh, situation would be changed drastically because many of the times the synagogue was there to promote whatever... Uh, everyone was doing, whether it be selling livestock, whether it be uh, crafts that you make, uh, crops that you grew, whatever the, the case may be, it could affect your livelihood by being put out of the, the, out of the synagogue. So much persecution was going to come out of that, much hate was going to come out of that, as we see. And he says in verse 3 again, and these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. You'll no longer be welcomed by your former religious people and practices for following me. They will put you out. You will be kicked out. You will be, the big word, excommunicated because of me. Has any of you ever been excommunicated from a church in the past? Most of us probably left before it got to that, didn't we? We excommunicated ourselves in that situation. And... That's a very positive thing in, in some uh, circles. There are certainly churches that I have attended in the past that I don't necessarily agree with them, but I, they wouldn't go to the point of excommunicating me you know, from that body of believers. But these guys were facing that. We can face excommunication from the world, from society itself, right? Because of what we believe, let's just silence them let's just get them let's get rid of them we don't want to hear what they have to say any longer jesus says these things i have spoken to you because you're about to face some tough times you will be my witnesses you will testify of me so they will want to get rid of you silence you kill you kill your word and they believe that by doing this they're acting on god's behalf they believe that they're representing god's will god's desire 
they will think, they will believe that they are doing God a favor. Serving God by killing those who believe in me, Jesus is saying. They're going to ostracize you. They want to kill you. And these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. Now we're going to look at it more in depth next week. But we see in John chapter 16, verse 33, if you look there real, real quickly, he says, these things, he continues that, I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. That statement alone should spark our interest, right? Well, in me you'll have peace. Well, we all want peace, don't we? In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So we're going to face persecution, we're going to face hate, we're going to face tribulation, if you will, but be of good cheer. Christ says, I've overcome the world. And these things that I've spoken to you so that you may have peace in me. So the world we know, we've experienced, the world's going to press in. It's going to press down on you. It will hate you, it will persecute you, ostracize you. He's telling his disciples, even kill you, but have peace. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we've got from verse 12 through verse 33 that we're going to look at next week where he continues on with this theme. But where we are right now, he says, these things I've spoken to you that you might not stumble. I told you these things. The world hates you. We saw last week that he said right after that, because it hated me first. The world will persecute you. And he said, it persecuted me first, or it will in the next day or so. You are in this world, but... You're not of this world. We talked about that last week. The world will respond to you in this way, but have peace. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, we find comfort in those words, don't we? But sometimes it just doesn't for us seem to be quite enough, does it? As we're going through, as we're in the middle of some level of persecution, some trial, some tribulation that we're going through, to rest in these words, we can sometimes find difficult, can't we? It's just words that are in this thing we call the Bible. How can we find comfort in that? Well, we can turn to the Holy Spirit, the Helper, to help us find comfort in that, can't we? To know that these words are true, that Jesus spoke these things because He does want us to have peace. He does want us to have joy. And we're only going to find that where? in him so when we're going through those times to trust in to rely in the power of the holy spirit the helper in our lives to help us overcome because he overcame didn't he we can find that comfort we can find that peace he says i'm sending you a helper to strengthen you encourage you guide you counsel you you will not be alone i will be with you through the helper the spirit of truth Remember what he said to all of us in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's a promise, isn't it? It's a promise that we can rest in, rest on, that that is going to happen because he speaks truth. Verse 4, back in our text, But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, 
you may remember that I told you of them, and these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. He's saying, guys, I've been with you from the beginning. When I first called you, you were with me. I taught you many things. I showed you many things. But I'm telling you these things now because I'm leaving soon. I won't be with you physically any longer. But I'm sending you He, the Spirit of Truth, He, the Holy Spirit, He, the Helper. I am sending Him to you to be your Helper. John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now we looked at this verse uh, at length when we went through John chapter 14. But there's a phrase in there that I think we always want to keep in the forefront of our minds and our hearts that he will bring to your remembrance all things that he said to you. So the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, communicating to us what God wants us to know and understand. And he says, I'll bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. How many of you here have been going through a tough time and a verse pops in your head that brings you comfort. Pops in your, you, Well, maybe you're driving down the road, you're listening to Grace FM, because I know everybody listens to Grace FM 24-7. So you're listening to Grace FM, <laughs> and there's a teacher on there teaching something. There's a song on there that has lyrics of some sort that brings to your remembrance some attribute, some quality, some characteristic of God himself, that brings you comfort and brings you peace. And we say, oh, what a coincidence. No, 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 no. It's not a coincidence. It's, it's a God of wince, okay? <laughs> New word for you, God of wince. That means God himself has put something on your heart through the power of his Holy Spirit to help you in what you're going through. And it, you just love that. It gives you the holy bumps, doesn't it? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? It's like the chills, only it's the spiritual side of the chills you know so there's holy bumps that you get when god himself has given you something and you know that it's come from him to bring you comfort it's just such the coolest thing isn't it wow or hard-headed hard-hearted as we can be sometimes we go through the course of the day and by the third time that we hear that verse or those words we finally go oh i think god's trying to tell me something i get it oh okay thank you lord that seems to, for me anyway, it seems to take the two or three times. And you kind of go, oh, I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that before. Like twice today I've heard that. I'm thinking God's trying to tell me something. I will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. A promise that he will send the helper, a promise of what he the helper will do. Verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? I'm going to send you the helper, but I have to go away in order for the helper to come. And they're sorrowful. They, they don't want him to go anywhere, do they? They've enjoyed the time, obviously, that they've spent with Jesus. Peter actually said to him, what? Oh, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
the words of eternal life, the impact that he had made on their lives, not only hearing what he taught, the way that he ministered to them personally, but the way that they saw he ministered to others and used them to minister to others. He had made such a tremendous impact on their lives. They would follow him anywhere, right? But he has to go and they can't go with him. So he's promising them, hey, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send to you the helper, the spirit of truth. He's saying to his disciples, you might not understand it currently, but you will understand it eventually. I am leaving, and the Holy Spirit will be leading. We've talked about it so many times, the benefit of having the helper in our lives. God's promised helper, available to us to help us. And I hope that through our studies that we've all grown and grasped even more the depth of that. That we have His promised Holy Spirit available to us. And I've said it before, and I, I know you guys all agreed, it's the most underutilized resource we have in our Christian walk so many times, right? Not having a dependency upon his Holy Spirit the way that we should. And we go through those tough times. And then what? The Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance the things that he said to us to help us to depend upon him more and more. We're going through a tough time. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We realize that we need help. What better help could possibly be available than the promised Holy Spirit that Christ has given his Holy Spirit in us and through us to accomplish God's purposes in us on a personal, individual level, accomplishing those things in us, but also to accomplish God's purposes through us as well. As believers, past, present, and future, we all know that we are the church. This building is not the church. The church is not any man-made institution. The church is God's people, the believers in God, all together as the church. And we know from Scripture that the Holy Spirit is not sent to the world. We see in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is sent into the life of the individual believer, and He is sent into the life of the church, all believers, corporately. And God uses His Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and in the life of His church to accomplish His purposes, whatever they are. God's Holy Spirit, His promised Holy Spirit, does not minister in a vacuum. Think like, like this. Just as the Son of God came to this, this earth and had to have a body to do His work here on earth, we know that, 100% God, 100% man, He had a physical body to carry out the work that God had for Him to do, so the Holy Spirit needs a body to accomplish His work, His ministries, His purpose. And that body that He works through is us, individually and as a church, all believers. So our bodies are His tools, His temples, to use us to glorify Christ and witness to the world. So the Holy Spirit comes, lives in us, the church, for a purpose. 
Actually, three main purposes that we see in our text this morning. Verse 8, and when he has come, he will what? Convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So he will convict the world of sin, he will convict the world of righteousness, and he will convict the world of judgment. Those three things. Not making them up, they're right there in your Bible, that's what it says. That's what the Holy Spirit's coming to do. His ministry is a what? It's a convicting ministry. Now the King James Version, the word used for convict is reprove. It's a legal word that means to bring to light, to expose, to refute, to convict and convince. It could be translated as pronounce the verdict, if you will. But to convict and convince, I like those two words in using to describe that because we know that at some point in our lives, we were exposed to, if you will, the love of Jesus Christ. There was that time in each one of our lives when we saw it for the first time. Through the power of the Holy Spirit working to do what? Convict and convince, right? And it's a work that he still carries on in the life of the believer. To convict us of certain things and to convince us of certain things, right? It's an ongoing work that he has. So pronounce the verdict. Think of, think of it this way, in a courtroom. If we're the witnesses, the Holy Spirit is the prosecuting attorney. We're giving witness of what has taken place, mainly in our own lives, and the prosecuting attorney is doing what? He's providing the evidence. He's putting forth uh, the truth. In most court cases, I... <laughs> We all know how court works in our day and age, but in theory, if you follow me on that, the role of the prosecuting attorney is to provide the facts for the truth of what's, what's taken place, right? He just presents the evidence for the judgment, and he uses us as witnesses for the case. Now, that's pretty exciting when you think about it, that we get to be involved in that way that God wants to use us in that way. So he reproves or convicts who? The world. And what does it say about the world? Well, the Holy Spirit will do what? Number one, convict the world of sin. The truth about man. He says in verse 9, of sin because they do not believe in me. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world of one particular sin. The sin of what? Unbelief. Really, all the other sins don't really matter when there's unbelief, right? Because the unbelief is the source of the problem. Most people don't see unbelief. Most people in the world don't see unbelief as a sin. They think unbelief actually makes them intelligent. By not believing, I'm more intelligent than you are. Your, how many of you have ran across the, where you, Christians are weak-minded? Okay. If that's what you think, I think you're wrong. I have a certain level of intelligence myself, and I don't believe that. I don't believe that I'm weak. Believe, I believe that I'm strong believing that. So they don't know that unbelief prevents the forgiveness of all other sin, doesn't it? Because we tend to even as Christians, we tend to look at a person's life and saying, 
Well, they're an alcoholic. They've got the sin of alcoholism going on in their life. You know, we look at that. Or uh, in, in, you know, the whole list of sins, whatever you want to pick from the list. That's the problem. No, the problem is unbelief, right? The problem is unbelief because there's nothing that can be done about that sin when they're in a state of unbelief. And only the Holy Spirit can convict people of the sin of unbelief. If you don't believe in the work of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then you are an unbeliever. And there's only one sin in your life right now that matters the most to Him. That's the sin of unbelief. As an unbeliever, that whole other list of sins, all of those are underneath the heading unbelief, unbeliever. You have no hope of forgiveness because you do not believe in the one who actually forgives. That's the sin of unbelief. The Spirit convicts of. The truth about man, the truth about man is he has the sin of, of unbelief. And the Holy Spirit comes to convict of that, to convict of sin. We all know that because we've all been there, right? We all have been in a place of being sinners, unbelievers, if you will. None of us came right out of the womb believing, did we? No. We were in sin from the very beginning, and at some point in our lives when we recognized the love of Jesus Christ that was extended to us, and we responded to that love and believe in what He has to say, what He did for us, and what he, the works that He did. So the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, and the Holy Spirit will convict the world of righteousness. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. So the Holy Spirit convicts or convinces people that they're not good enough. The world has its own relative righteousness, doesn't it? They're hoping that God will grade on a curve. They're looking at it and going, well, I'm better than some people. <laughs> I try hard. I get an E for effort. How many of you ever, when you were in elementary school or middle school, you know, the teacher give you a summary of how you did on a particular thing, and they write it on your report card to send home to your parents, and you get one of those that says, well, he tries hard. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> well, he's just really not very good at it, but he puts a lot of effort into it. He tries hard. <laughs> so there are people out there that believe, hey, I'm trying hard enough. I'm I'm working. How many of you actually know people that you would say, man, they would make a good Christian? They're just good people. We know a lot of people like that, don't we? That you look at their life and they're just a really good person. Why don't they become a Christian? Well, they don't see the need. They think that they're maybe doing okay or, again, that they're measuring themselves against someone else, right? Well, at least I'm not like them. You know, that happens. Only Jesus demonstrated the righteousness that God accepts. We all know that, don't we? He's the only one that represented the righteousness that God accepts. Now, us in Him, we have a righteousness that He accepts as well. But we had to accept Jesus before we got there, didn't we? Matthew 5.48 says, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. I know, as I look around, no one in here this morning is perfect. 
I know wives, you look at your husbands and you go, well, you know, he comes pretty close. <laughs> or husbands, you look at your wives and you go, yes, she's, she's perfect. She, yeah, definitely, she's perfect. None of us are perfect, are we? Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, one. Jesus I am, but what He's done, not what I've done, but who He is. He met the righteous requirement for us. Our ticket, our entry into heaven is based solely upon the righteous work of Jesus on the cross, dying for our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We might become the righteousness of God in Him. Key phrase for us, isn't it? That's the only way we're going to be righteous is in Him. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of righteousness by pointing to the only one who was, is righteous, Jesus Christ, right? I, I almost picture the Holy Spirit in a constant state of pointing to Jesus Christ, which is great for us as well, right? Charles Erdman said it like this, Christ is good and holy and pure, Reject him is to convict oneself of being opposed to goodness and holiness and purity and love. It's all about his righteousness, not ours. Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all like an unclean thing, and our righteousness is like filthy rags. So righteousness on our own, yeah, it doesn't look too good, does it? But righteousness in him, God accepts. The truth about God, God will only accept true righteousness. And Jesus Christ is the only one truly righteous. So the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of righteousness. And the Holy Spirit will convict the world of judgment. It's the inevitable combination of the first two truths, sin and righteousness of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world of judgment. Judgment is coming, and if we are responsible, if we continue to live in unbelief, we are responsible. We are responsible if we reject God's righteousness. It says the ruler of this world is judged. Satan hasn't been sentenced yet in prophecy of we won't know what's going to happen as we read through the book of revelation we know that that's going to take place but the sentencing hasn't happened yet hasn't been carried out yet scripture makes it very clear that he will be and it makes it very clear that those who follow him will get the same so the question before all of us before those that we know who are you following you can't ride the fence on this issue which side are you on you're on one side or the other. You're either following God or you're not following God, right? You're either believing or you're not believing. There is no middle ground. There is no gray area there whatsoever. It's one or the other. Belief in God or unbelief in God. Righteousness or unrighteousness. 
judged or not judged. The power of the Holy Spirit wants to do His work in the life of the unbeliever, convicting and convincing, but He also wants to do it in the life of the believer as well. Convicting and convincing. The question before us, is the Holy Spirit convicting us this morning? Is the Holy Spirit convincing us this morning? Let's pray.